Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Limitless Lives. I'm your host, Nilesh Patel, and today I have the pleasure of introducing Katrin Van Outholsten, an accomplished author and guide who illuminates the path to living a life of freedom, ease, and joy. With a deep understanding of our true nature as selfless beings, Katrin invites her readers to explore the illusion of the separate self and embrace selflessness as a way of being. Her writings span a range of profound subjects, including selfless leadership, non-duality, awakening, and the transformative practice of self-inquiry. Her work has received praise and recognition from individuals who have experienced profound shifts in their lives through her guidance. Many have expressed gratitude for the clarity and wisdom she brings to the exploration of selflessness and her ability to inspire a sense of liberation and inner peace. Today, we have the opportunity to embark on a transformative journey with Katrin, discover profound insights and practical guidance that can help you awaken to your true nature and live a life of authentic freedom and joy. Katrin, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here today. Wow. Thank you so much. What an introduction. Myself loves that. Brilliant. I'm really excited to get into this topic. Before we do, Katrin, can you share a little bit about where you started on this journey and what led you to this point? Yes. It's always a difficult question to answer because telling a story about what happened requires sort of causal narrative story that I am very aware I am making up in the moment as we all are, actually, we'll get to that. So I can tell you some version of that. And let's see how that sounds today. But basically, for me, it was feeling very, very stuck, and very, very unsatisfied with myself in my 30s. So I guess what many, many people go through in the terms of I'm not good enough, there's something wrong with me, general depression, and things that that we're taught to pursue, like career, relationships, hobbies, all these different things, not being at all what I wanted or not leading to anything pleasurable long term. So I started searching and seeking and I, I have a philosophical bent. So that's where I looked first. I went through all the, you know, the Buddhism, the, the self-help books and Zen philosophy, other old works, modern works. And I did the whole self-help circus thing and found nothing at all that really helped. So this is something I hear from people a lot as, as well, that they search and search and search in all the things that are on offer out there, but that doesn't really get us anywhere. It doesn't lead to lasting change. As it was the same for me, and at some point I did find something that at first I didn't understand, and that was what is called non-duality or the perennial philosophy, which is the core of all wisdom traditions really, and says, look, we're not really separate selves. That's a mistake. It's an illusion. What we are is one undivided conscious awareness. And it is possible to know that directly. And in knowing that directly, you are free, free from all the suffering that from believing that you're a separate self. And that is actually after many, many years of frustration with not understanding what I was reading by doing some practices and by, I guess, just by slowly marinating in it, I finally understood it, understanding in a sense of it became parts of what I am or it became what I am. And now all I do is tell others about it because it's so it's so fundamental and it makes life much more joyous. I think it's fantastic that you've gone through this journey yourself and you want to tell others, as you've just mentioned. And on that note, can you explain the concepts of the illusion of the separate self and why it's so important to understand it? 
Yes. As babies, we, we don't yet believe that we're separate selves. We come into the world and we're just aware. We're just conscious awareness. And it takes actually quite a bit of effort on the part of our parents and society to make us understand that we are a separate self. And by separate self, we mean a character, an enduring concept of a person, what, what, what you would call I or me, that has a story behind it, that exists throughout our lives. And the crucial part, that feels responsible for its life. So the key aspect of, of feeling that I'm a separate self is the illusion that I am in control of what I call the body, my thoughts, my actions, and depending on which culture you've grown up in, even your emotions, your health, the effect you have on other people. And this goes on and on this list. So it's, it's basically the illusion that we are separate beings, separate selves, and that we have a life and are in control of it. So it sounds like there's a lot of perceived notions around self. You know, you mentioned I, me. Can you help unpack that a little bit more in terms of how someone would go about even starting that journey? Yeah, and, and just to be clear, when we say it's an illusion, we're not saying that it's not real in the sense of it, that it doesn't exist. There obviously are thoughts and feelings and the experience of being a separate self. So we're not denying that you experience life as a separate self. It's like saying that there's like a mirage in the desert. The mirage is real. So the separate self is a real experience, like the mirage, but the mirage is not real water. It's an illusion of water. And in the same way, the separate self is not a real self. It's the illusion of a self. So it looks like a self to us and it feels like a self, but that's a wrong perception. And this has many aspects to it. And that's why just talking about this in a very abstract way is, is usually not helpful because it gets quite complicated. And that's why it helps to break it down into seeing various aspects of the self, of what we call a separate self, that we actually are not. So, for example, most of us at some point believe that we're the story of our lives. So we are what happened to us. I was born in Belgium. I grew up in Thailand. My father was a professor. The facts of our lives, but then more and more also, I am not good at maths. I am very gentle person. I'm not easily stressed. So all these beliefs we internalize about ourselves and others tell us about ourselves and our belief. So this forms a narrative or a story about who and what we are. And many people at some point start to discover, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is not as factual as I thought it was. Maybe these beliefs and even the facts of, of my life are mainly interpretation and mainly things that society and other people taught me about myself. So this aspect of the narrative self, I am my story, is one of the easiest parts to start to see that this self is a construct, that it's a mental construct, and that the thoughts about ourselves are learned beliefs. So with this level of exploration, how do we go about recognizing our true nature as selfless beings? And how does that contribute to living a life of freedom and joy. Yeah, so you could say there are two aspects of this, and they're both equally important. It's important to see what we are, which is not a separate self, and which is, well, one word for it is, is conscious awareness or universal consciousness. But all these names have connotations that aren't really helpful. So they are used so often in our, in our language in different contexts. 
that it's difficult to find a word that is neutral for what it is that we really are. But one consciousness or universal consciousness will do for this conversation. And it's possible to see that directly. It's possible to find out in direct experience that, that is what we are. And that's really important because otherwise this is just theory and or maybe even crazy theory. It's like, yeah, great. She's, she's saying we're all one consciousness, blah, blah, blah. So the only way that this becomes real for anyone is through direct inquiry and direct experience of this. But that's one side of the equation, so to speak. The other side is just as important, and that's where we were with what we're not. We're not the body. We're not the narrative of ourselves. We're not the doer. We're not a separate subject in a world of objects. So in, in the classical wisdom traditions, they say there's the path of negation, of learning to see what you are not, and the positive path of learning to see what you really are, and both need to be seen. You mentioned the practical side of it. When people start experiencing the practical side, they begin to understand this a little bit better. What are some practical ways in which we can begin to challenge the illusion of the separate self in our everyday lives? And if you can shed some examples in that, that would be really helpful. Yeah, so one of the, one of the easiest things and that many people actually already have encountered is to start questioning your beliefs. So it is quite often that in situations of stress or frustration or bad moods, we can actually notice that there's a stressful belief or a limiting belief we're believing about ourselves. For example, I'm feeling extremely frustrated right now because I should be doing something useful with my life and nothing seems to be happening. I'm not useful. I'm not contributing, whatever it is. So we can start to see that these are simply thoughts that appear in our minds uninvited, right? We don't create them. They just show up. And then we believe them and we suffer or we can just see them as thoughts, and then they just pass by like clouds through the sky of our minds. And this is a really practical place where during the day, in situations of stress or frustration, we can start to notice, hey, what thought am I believing right now that is causing this, this idea that this is stressful? And can I just let that thought pass through the mind, let it come and go for the thought that it is, right? I don't have to attach to it. I don't have to believe it. That's the first place. And immediately another one is same thing during the day. At moments that it occurs to us, we can notice that there is always something that is experiencing our lives. So there's always an aspect of us that is aware of experience. And at first that sounds kind of boring or like, so what? So what? Of course, something experiences my life. That's, that's me. But it is actually really interesting that when you start to look at that, to notice what is it really, this quality, what is it that is really experiencing my life? What is hearing my voice, for example, right now? And we start to look at that, to notice it, we find out that that is actually not a separate self. And then it can get really fascinating. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what sorts of aha moments then typically happen that you've experienced or people that you've helped have experienced? So the first or, or one aha moment is that this, this quality, th this awareness is never not there. So whenever I look, there it is. And then I notice very quickly that everything I believe I am, the thoughts, the beliefs, the body, the idea of, of being a separate self, a person, these all come and go in this awareness, but the awareness is always there. For example, when I was five years old, I was aware of being a five-year-old. 
when I was 25, I was aware of being a 25-year-old and the exact same awareness unchanged. And you can notice this for yourself. The exact same awareness, completely unchanged and unaffected, is aware of my life right now. And so it's a, it's a noticing that slowly leads to a disidentification or less of an identification with the content of our lives. The beliefs, the limiting beliefs, the um, I need to do this or that. This is how life should be. This is what I should do. This is what I should control. All these thoughts, they start to be seen as just thoughts, just conditioning. I don't have to believe that stuff. It's optional. And that, that leads to an immediate stress release. So this noticing that I am not the content of my life makes it much lighter, much freer, much easier. We go through that every day, this notion of self-doubt. I'm not enough. Am I worthy? And so forth. Just noticing those as thoughts and the feelings that arise from that and just leveraging those feelings as indicators. You're saying that those are essentially they just dissolve. And then what's left is this opportunity for creation, peace, love, whatever you want to tap into then becomes available because it's always there. Yes. So it's, it's kind of falling out of the constriction of feeling like you're a, a vulnerable, limited, not good enough, separate self and falling into the whole of creation, right? And everything that's, that's possible within that. And the key aspect of this is noticing that thoughts, actions, what I do, what I say, what happens, this all simply occurs. So there's no one in control of life. There's no separate self in the cockpit of our lives, you know, steering the plane. It just feels that way at first. But if we look, if we do some of these exercises, we can see quite easily that I never create a thought. Thoughts just appear. Then I don't decide to believe, oh, that meeting went really badly. I should have done X, Y, Z. No, these thoughts just appear. And we have the option of believing them or not. I'd love to explore that a little bit more because we go through that on a day-to-day -day basis. We have these notions of self-doubt and the thoughts pop into our mind, where do you think these thoughts stem from? Because they're entering our mind and then we go through this process that you've articulated. Where, where do they originate from? Yeah, and that's actually a really good question to ask yourself <laughs> in an inquiry, but let's ask it now. And you can notice that many of the things you think are even in the voice of your parents or educators. So it's even like your mother or your father is in your head talking to you. Those are obvious. Where did these, th these thoughts come from? Well, they were programmed into you as a child. So many people will say, well, it's the voice of my mother or whoever that I hear in my head, especially the critical voice. But you may also notice that, that many, many thoughts are things we simply learned at school or we learned by reading books or we learned from watching movies. So this is just general cultural conditioning and programming from being a human being in, in a culture. And the way you can see that, for example, if you were born three centuries ago in a different culture, you would be a completely different person. You would have completely different thoughts. And it immediately becomes clear that most of the thoughts that we think, if not all of them, are part of this cultural, temporal conditioning that we were subjected to. So then the question becomes, is there really any thought that is original or unique? 
And this is, this is something that I wouldn't even want to answer, but to ask people to simply go through your day and try to find a thought that is actually has never been thought before. It's an interesting challenge. It really is because it goes back to, there's so much external noise out there, influences, belief systems. And like you've just said, we've almost been conditioned to be trained and told these are your beliefs, these are your values. And that, in fact, create the narrative of where your thoughts stem from. And then your thoughts become your beliefs. And your beliefs then become how you approach your day, the words you use, and so forth. What I'm hearing you say is it's almost going a step back from all that, clearing out the noise, taking time for solitude, and taking the opportunity just to see what comes up. Yes, so the key is to become aware of the part of us that notices all these things. And an easy way to describe that is if you hear this conversation now, you can later tell someone about it, the content, what was said, or whatever you were paying attention to. Even if it was nothing, you can tell people, well, I wasn't paying attention to anything, I, I forgot. So something was, is aware of this conversation happening right now, of the listening. And it is this awareness that can be explored. And it's what we never look at. We're always obsessed with the content. And so going back to thoughts, we're obsessed with the content of our thoughts. And we take them to be important, crucial information about how to deal with life. And with just a bit of interested looking, we can find out that all of these thoughts are old, are programmed, are just regurgitated content that we heard or read somewhere. And that's shocking, actually. I'd love to tap into that a little bit more. You mentioned at the beginning your earlier journey and how you, you got to where you are today. Can you share any personal experiences that really helped you realize the truth of selflessness? Yeah, this one of the earliest things I remember finding out is that these beliefs I had about myself were beliefs. So up until my, my mid-20s, I was pretty much... I was sure that the things I thought about myself, I'm, I'm good at philosophy or I'm interested in human development, I'm not interested in this, you know, all these opinions we have about ourselves, that those were facts. I, I just assumed they were, this was myself telling me who and what I was. And it was only at some point, late 20s, that for the first time, and this was a really funny example, it was about my body, and I'd learned that I have a, a hollow back, a swayed back. And someone had told me this at some point, and I believed it. And then I found, I went to the doctor, and in a conversation, it just casually came up. I said, look, well, that's maybe because of my hollow back. And he said, what? You don't have a hollow back. Where did you hear this? You know, and that was the first time that it became clear to me, very viscerally clear to me, that this was maybe just made up stuff and that this could apply to all of the beliefs I had about myself. So that was a kind of opening. And much later, it was really these experiences of what we could also call flow. So noticing that I would plan to do A, and then what I would actually do was B. Or I would think very long about a decision, and then I would end up doing something totally different. Or as I said before, you know, the, the noticing and direct experience that thoughts simply appear out of nowhere. And here I was taking ownership of them and pretending that they were my thoughts when I didn't even know where they came from. So it was this, this combination of different noticings and mostly about how there's no one doing any of it, but that basically things just happen. My life just happens. 
that was really the the wake up call for me. You know what's absolutely fascinating about that is it makes me reflect and think about friends, relationships I've had with others. We're constantly in reaction mode, if you think about it, right? We, be, we get told something and we instantly react. I'm like, okay, yep. If, if it's been said, then maybe 50% of that is true. It begins to shape our identity. And if we don't take the time to reflect on our own selves and where is this coming from, we could potentially just be living this life that really isn't ours. Yes. And now this is where it gets tricky because modern psychology and especially the, the developmental, you know, self-development movement, they say, ah, okay, so it's about paying attention and it's about learning, right? This, this space between stimulus and response and figuring out how I tick and then reprogramming my brain, applying mindset hacks and growth mindset and all these things we see everywhere telling us how to improve ourselves. What I found is that it's actually much more radical than that. Even the decision or the, the choice, let's call it that, to say, okay, I'm now going to work on my reactivity, for example, that we make that choice. There's no one making that choice. The idea to take that responsibility simply appears out of nowhere. So it's not so much that we are now, we have the freedom to work on ourselves. It's that we have the freedom to see that whether we work on ourselves or not is out of our hands. It's certainly an area to become more curious about. How does embracing selflessness impact our relationship with others and the world around us? It's an excellent and important question, and it's a complete paradox. Because, again, we've been told from, from a very young age that relationships are something we do. So we have to get them right. We have to succeed at them. We have to learn from our mistakes and then improve. And it is actually seeing that there is no one there doing the relationship, but relationships simply happen like everything else. So it is part of the expression of, of consciousness through our unique body-mind that, that creates freedom from the need to get it right. So my favorite example, my mother-in-law. I, I do not enjoy my mother-in-law. I don't enjoy her character. Previous me would have had a problem with that. You're supposed to like everyone. You're supposed to at least get along with everyone. How can you now work on yourself so that you can get this relationship right? How can you stop being so frustrated by her? How can all, all these things we're then supposed to cultivate in ourselves, these qualities? And seeing that that is not, I have nothing to do with that. That's just how my character plays out. But paradoxically, because I know that, I can let it go. And so I see, oh, look, this behavior of my mother-in-law is totally frustrating me. And at the same time, I know, well, that's just the way it is. And because of that, the frustration disappears. So the need to manipulate and the need to get things right disappears. And paradoxically, that creates what we were looking for in the first place, which is this positive, respectful, compassionate, empathetic relationships. And how does that then play out, let's say, in the workforce or in organizational context? You've written books about selfless leadership, and you've just mentioned the need to fix those relationships may not always be needed, but in the organizational context, when you're working within teams, how does some of your philosophy apply into that context? Well, actually, it's, it's exactly the same, because if you stop believing that you can or need to fix yourself or others, then people can simply be who they are. 
And there's no, because we know that others, just as, as we are simply expressing the character that they have and being lived just as we are, there's, there's no more judgment of that. So it's not, oh, you're so lazy, you didn't finish the deliverable on time, or what's wrong with you, you didn't do ABC when you promised you would. It's, it's knowing without a doubt that this is the only way it can possibly be. That doesn't mean that we don't hold people responsible for their actions. It just means that we don't blame them for them. And if you can even imagine a team situation or a leadership situation that involves no blame and no praise actually either, but just a complete radical acceptance of people the way they are, that is true leadership. Even if I'm in a, in a top leadership position or, or wherever I am, who am I to judge behavior? I would have to know everything, all the causal factors. I would have to know all of the, the thoughts this person had, what they did and didn't do. And, you know, there's this meme about never judge a person because you don't know what they're going through. It's much more radical. You can't judge a person. You can't judge anything because you have no idea what all the causal variables are and, and all the millions of variables involved in the behavior that is appearing. We can get rid of that whole aspect altogether. No need to judge people, no need to grow them or develop them as if that were possible, but simply to allow the expression. And, and there are other words for this, like theory U has this, the emergence and allowing together, allowing the, the future to unfold. So there's some nicer words for this than the ones I use and concept. But it's all speaking about the same thing. It's about things are happening all by themselves. But we silly little humans, we believe that we're doing it and that we're in control or should be in control. And then we suffer when we're not. So if I'm a leader in a leadership position and I believe I need to control all this stuff, I'm in trouble because I don't. You mentioned this is a very radical thinking approach. What common misconceptions or challenges are there that people often face when trying to understand the concept of selflessness? Yes, precisely that sentence. We try to understand this. And I said that at the beginning. It's unavoidable. We've been trained as humans to use our minds to understand the world. And, and these are powerful machines that we have, you know, our, our brains. And they're very useful but they don't help us understand these concepts. The only way to, to get this is to actually directly experience it. So selflessness, the non-existence of a real separate entity that I call I or me, is not something I can understand. The mind can't go there because the mind is the separate self. So the only solution is to maybe become interested in this and then to explore for yourself and to use practices, exercises, direct inquiries like some I have in the book uh, that I wrote, Selfless Leadership, that show you, so you can't deny it, it's, it's doubtless, they show you in direct experience that there is no self. And that's the only way. And what role does self-inquiry play in the process of uncovering our true nature and can you explain how that works? Yeah, so you could say it is looking at direct, it's, it's experiencing life directly. So for example, as we said before about what are thoughts, how do they appear? Do I do them or do they just occur? So these types of questions, this type of noticing of how things actually work instead of just believing what we've been told. So we may believe, well, I create my thoughts, right? I can just sit down and think about my next vacation. I can plan it. So obviously I am doing my thoughts. That's under my control. 
and we know all these beautiful circles of what is in my control and out of my control. And what's in the center of the circle is always my thoughts, my actions, and that type of stuff. So inquiry is looking at experience. In your direct experience of life, do you find that you control your thoughts? Or is that just a nice belief that you picked up somewhere and that you now just simply assume to be true? So it's checking. Check. The next thought you have, where does it come from? Did you create it or did it just appear? Did the idea to plan your vacation, did you create that or did it just appear and now you're planning it? So it's a very direct, almost scientific, if you will, looking at reality without your beliefs about it. And for someone new to this content, where would you recommend they start in their journey of understanding the illusion of the separate self and embracing selflessness? The easiest part to start, and I think, yeah, this was circling back to the beginning, is, is the nature of the mind and the nature of thought. Because it's something that we're so, it's what we're engaged in most of the time now in our, in our modern lives. We're always thinking and we're so identified with this thinking that we just assume that the way the mind tells us the world works is how it is. So I would say start getting interested, become interested in what this thought, what thought really is. What is this thought process? This is not the same as mindfulness meditation, right? Where you're asked to, to maybe sit and, and try to calm the mind by maybe noticing, okay, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. That's not enough. Here it's really inquiry in the sense of what are thoughts really? What is aware of thoughts? Where do thoughts come from? Where do they go to? Do I create them? So these types of questions, and there are various resources that can help. And I put the, the most, well, the exercises I found to be most effective in, especially in a leadership context, into the book Selfless Leadership. But this noticing of our experience in a very simple way, that's where it starts. Because we live in a very mental world at the moment where all day we're, we're occupied with the mind and, and the content the mind is presenting to us. And so starting to, to distance ourselves whenever possible, just micro moments during the day of noticing, okay, this is thinking. This is not actually reality. This is my thinking about reality. So for example, you're having a disagreement with a team member and your mind is telling you things, right? So thoughts could be, oh, not even the, the really negative stuff, but for example, well, they don't know what they're talking about or they've been repeating themselves for, you know, three times now. That's, that's annoying. Just these type of thoughts that we don't even hear anymore that are filtering reality for us and telling us what we're supposed to feel or judge about this situation. So start to notice that that is going on. Ah, this is not reality. This is my thinking about reality. Even that basic thing just creates a space between what we really are and the content that's presented to us. And I have a few of these exercises in selfless leadership, the ones that I found to be most effective for people like us, you know, normal people in modern life. In your book, Selfless Leadership, I'd love to hear some key takeaways that you've had with leaders. What's been their initial reaction when you approach them with this concept or they come to you and say, Katrin, I need some help in this space. What typically seems to be the common barriers that you have to work them through before they can get into this, aha, wow, this, this is really helping shape me and transforming me. 
Yeah. So the biggest barrier, I mean, the people I work with in terms of selfless leadership, they often interested already in, in servant leadership or in being of service, in transcending the self in some way. They're already that far, right? If they're, if they're still stuck in, okay, I need to become a better, a better boss or some of the other concepts of leadership, they're probably not interested in this material. But often they're interested in service, in being of service, in, in compassion and empathy and the things we hear nowadays that are really important in terms of leadership. And their biggest concern is, I'm not good enough to do that, or I'm not good enough to be that, or I don't know how, or I get in my own way, right? I'm trying to be this understanding, empathetic leader, but I judge all the time and I judge myself most of all. So the typical struggles that actually are universal, but we run up against when we're trying to be good people. And trying to be a good leader is nothing different than trying to be a good person. So the change then occurs or the transformation starts to take place when they realize, okay, I don't do my life. Okay, so I'm not doing my leadership. I'm not going to improve my leadership. But I can start to notice that thoughts, actions, all these things simply occur. And if I don't believe my judgments about myself, the things that naturally occur are actually pretty cool. They're actually exactly what I was looking for. If I don't judge my team member because I've stopped believing that this is possible, I'm much more compassionate and much more empathetic towards this person, obviously. So it is more a taking away of the blocks and the beliefs we have about who we are, who other people are, and especially how leadership and life works. And it's seeing through those things that uncovers all the good stuff that we wanted in the first place the being of service, the connection, the support, empathy, compassion, kindness, all of these things that we're looking for, they're already there. But we have to get the self or the ego out of the way first. Not out of the way in the sense that we have to get rid of it, but we have to see through it, see that it's just a construct. I love that. It's almost as if it's a remembering. A remembering yes. that all of these notions of Empathy, goodness, peace, joy, creation, inspiration. That was already there to begin with in abundance. Yes, that's what we are. We are those things. And we've mistakenly believe, started to believe that we are a, a small, limited, not good enough, separate individual that has to promote and defend and improve itself when there's actually no one there. Katrin, what you shared with me and listeners today... If there were three pieces of advice you could give us, what would they be to help us live a limitless life? Stop believing your mind. You can believe your mind. I mean, if it says something useful, believe it. But stop just believing everything it throws up and start questioning it. That's, that's probably the most, the most fundamental thing because even the intent to start questioning it creates distance to it and we stop being so identified with it. So the mind is just a tool. And stop letting the tool rule you, but start questioning whether it's the hammer for every nail. The mind is sometimes useful, sometimes it's not. Most of the time it's lying to you. So become aware of that. And the second thing I would say is that you can discover that if you, if you don't think about things, if you don't think about what am I supposed to be doing, how am I supposed to be doing it, but you just let what naturally the intuition occur to you. Okay, here's a team meeting or a project. 
What should my role in this project be? How should I approach it? And instead of overthinking that or thinking about it at all, to just have the intention to be, to let what naturally comes up for you to do come up. So by that, I mean, you may be officially the boss, right? Or you're the project manager or whatever. Don't just believe you're thinking about what that role means, but see what naturally, intuitively comes up for you to do in that role and follow that. Have the courage to just follow your intuition because you will find that what you do then is actually always of service. It's not for personal gain. So don't believe the mind. Try to do more of what intuitively and naturally comes up for you to do. And the third one is try to see your life as a movie. And by that, I mean, see if you can find some distance to the content so that you can enjoy the show. And literally, I use the analogy of this is the movie of your life. You can get some popcorn, you know, and a fizzy drink, your favorite drink, and enjoy the show instead of trying to micromanage the show because you are not writing the screenplay. You are not in control of what the character does on the screen. So stop stressing about it. Life is very short. It's crazy. And it's totally out of our control. So the best thing to do is just, you know, grab that comfy sofa and enjoy the movie. What a beautiful way to wrap up this episode, Katrin. I just want to say thank you so much for joining me on Limitless Lives. It's left me feeling extremely curious, very intrigued about your work. For our listeners at home, again, Beyond Illusion and Selfless Leadership. If you haven't read those books by Katrin, go check them out. Definitely an interesting read and will definitely get you thinking. So, Katrin, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. No, thank you. And thanks for leaving us so curious. Thanks once again to everyone in this community for tuning in to another episode of Limitless Lives. Mm-hmm.